Were you nervous? I was the most nervous I've ever been before speaking. It's a big, huge thing, isn't it? It's a big gig. It was in Sydney, so it wasn't like the old anecdotes were necessarily going to wash. On behalf of particularly female reporters across the industry, not just sports but everywhere, you should, and I hope you do, understand the extent to which you are an icon for us. Annabelle, thank you. Baked camembert with Whitloff and walnuts. Is there nothing better than a baked camembert? Make the cheese hot. (laughs) This is a wonderful film, the new version. Lady Gaga, I don't think she could have acted or sung any better. Someone once wrote this hilarious thing and it was like a suicide note from the word moist. (laughs) And it was, this word is just saying, look, I'm a perfectly reasonable word with a perfectly reasonable meaning. And now I've been attacked. now... I just despise. People just hate me. Okay, so Annabelle, what do you call a cake that is moist? You can't wet. say it's wet. That's not right either, is it? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. It is episode 61 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm here with my dear friend, fellow podcaster, and Melbourne Cup successful tipster, Corey Perkin. You betcha, Caro. <laughs> <laughs> a bit richer this week. Didn't we have a fabulous day on Melbourne Cup Day? You know, and it was the perfect day, actually. What it was, was it? Seven girls, day. including your mum, yep. sitting around eating chicken sandwiches that you had made. And Renee. Oh, and Renee. Token yes. bloke in yep. his board shorts. No, we ate chicken sandwiches and mum's egg sandwiches. So and, gentle. And we watched the races in front of a big warm fire because it was bloody freezing. Anyway, it's a very exciting episode today. I'm very happy to be back. I've had a bit of a break due to work commitments, but... The reason we're excited today is because our special guest, author of her new book, in fact, special guest, Recipes for the Happily Imperfect Host, Annabelle Crabb, the woman who inspired this podcast, Corrie. You've yeah, managed to lure her. You've managed to lure her into Woo! the studio. This is hey, total, Annabelle. Hello. Uh, <laughs> and this is news to me. How, how on earth did I inspire your podcast? Well, when your first cookbook came out, and thank you, the Persian Love Cake has been an absolute <laughs> winner in our household ever since. You're welcome. I interviewed you at Corrie's shop. Yes. And uh, allegedly, I mean, this is Corrie's story, not mine. What did Annabelle allegedly say to you, Corrie? It wasn't allegedly. It's pure fact. <laughs> so we were talking about your then new podcast with your friendly sales, Chat 10 Looks 3. Everybody get onto it if you're not following it. And you said... You two are like Lee and I. You're friends and you work and you're trying to juggle the kids, you know, buying the mother-in-law's birthday present, cooking (laughs) up a storm, covering big issues in the news. You guys should have a podcast. And so a couple of months later, Carol and I were walking with our daughters and the millennials, of course, are right onto this. And they listened to Carol and I talk for an hour (laughs) as we're walking the dogs with our younger children. And the younger children said, you guys should do a podcast. And we said, funny, you should say that because so did Annabelle Crabb. Wow, yep. that's so, so cool. You're to blame, Annabelle. Hey, have you found, because this is what I've really found with sales, has having a podcast made you better at organising to catch up with each other? No, I mean, you're pretty yes. good at it anyway, aren't you, yeah. I guess? No, that's true. We do, well, clearly we see more of each other. Mm. But, um, yeah, we no, it has. No, it my has. my feelings get hurt now together. because she'll have a girl's drinks or go to a movie and she won't ask me anymore because she thinks, oh, well, I'm seeing her at the podcast on Tuesday. That is, that's <laughs> the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. No, you're, I do feel a bit left Corrie's out now. Be, Corrie's becoming grandmother. 
since oh, that, since that interview lovely. over that wonderful book. And that, that takes up a bit of her time. And that is usually the reason which she doesn't turn it's up to my It's your obsession drinks. with your own grand progeny that is, that is driving you to a pub. I'm so pleased I could be here for the breakup of the podcast over, <laughs> <laughs> over access as no, well as being there in thing. the moment that it was a twinkle in your eye. The most interesting <laughs> thing is that a couple of good friends, mutual girlfriends have said, how, how I haven't seen you for ages, but look, I don't feel I need to see you anymore because I know exactly. Do your friends ever say that yeah, to you about bit. you and Lee? Yeah, a little bit. The other thing I really like about the podcast is that it gives you an index to all that. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about the books we've read and so on. And so I've got like a reading diary now through yep. the notes to the podcast. And so I can always, you know, that thing where, I don't know if you read a lot and you think, what was that book that I read Two years ago about the thing. You know, you got one about the thing. You've got it in your show notes. Yeah, yeah. There's there's actually a good book. I have thought about this. There is is a good book in uh, a guide, a user's guide to books, good books and good book club books. Yeah. So we might, maybe the four of us could all match our show notes and create a book or something. Anyway, Annabelle's turned up in yet another gorgeous little dress and I love the blue and white one with the yellow cardi you're wearing on the the cover of Special Guest. That that dress was bought in my local market from this great woman called Telma who runs a second-hand stall and it cost 10 bucks. So I've um, I've sent her a a copy of the book and said thank you very much for... uh, Vaguely underwriting this. What I want to know is, what are you drinking? It looks, is it an Aperol Spritz? No. Disappointingly, um, it is a soda water. Uh, it's supposed to look like a, uh, a proper drink, but it isn't um, because that shoot was in the morning. Um, it is my real front door, though, so there is a certain amount of... Um, Why aren't you drinking would, an Aperol Spritz at 11 o'clock Well, in the I morning? should have been, and really, I would have done if anyone had provided one for me, but um, it, that didn't happen. I just had to look fizzy and be in a, be in a glass. But um, if I'm ever answering the door with a drink in my hand, it's usually a proper drink. Well, Annabelle, anyone who sees... That door would wish they could walk in there, but they can do the second best thing. They can open this book. It's a beautiful book. You've co-authored again with your friend Wendy Sharp, yeah, who sounds absolutely wonderful. She's awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm going to make the vegetable tagine this weekend. Oh, you won't regret that. And yeah. you're going to share um, a sweet recipe with us later in the show. Yes, I should just say thank you to everyone who snapped up a ticket to our live podcast lunch podcast lunch later this month, our first live event. It's officially sold out, Corrie. We're thrilled that we're going to be donating a three very, weeks out. We've sold out a very big check to so the Breast good. Cancer Network of Australia. Great cause. So thank you to our sponsors, the Interchange Bench, and the team at the Flying Duck Hotel in Paran for helping us out, and to all of you who bought tickets. If you've got a ticket, we look forward to seeing you on November twenty eighth. Um, we've got Melbourne Cup talk. Corrie's actually headed at her house. That's another story. I've. I've got a couple. Can we just do some, go on to housekeeping now, Yep, Carol? yep, yep, yep. So I just wanted to send a cheerio to Lizzie and Lynn, who are very keen potties, and they travelled all the way from Ballarat. Um, they actually had three things they wanted to do. The first one was to go to an embroidery shop in Brighton. The second one was to come and visit my bookshop. And the third was to go and listen to Chat 10 Looks 3. I think ah. you might have done an event in Melbourne. <laughs> so they were on their way to see you, Annabelle. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so they were. They came in and said hello. And then, of course, because I tipped the Melbourne Cup winner or predicted uh, last week with Anna from the Op Shop, Caro, 
um, a number of potties have got on board to send messages of thanks because they've picked up 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever, including Anna's sister, Julie, who brought in a lovely little gift because her son, Harry, apparently put a poultice of dough on cross-counter. Mm, we don't so. really, we only encourage gambling over <laughs> Melbourne Cup Week, we have to and say. And only when children are involved. <laughs> <laughs> and they're 12, yes, that's right. It's better than going on a Halloween collection, I reckon. It's, sure, you know, yeah. Australian children should have a bet on the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> Rather than trick or treat, in my view, I think so. Would you too. tell them each way or on the nose? Like, what's um, oh, each way, always definitely. each way, yeah, because then way. they might yeah. get something back. And then yeah. just a quick one, Cara, before you go th- through your bits of um, housekeeping, <coughs> Justin Irwin um, commented. Uh, we were talking last week, of course, about the new Jane Harper book, and Justin said, "Loved the dry, and we'll look forward to reading the last man. Could be the story of my life." <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but look, Justin, cheer up! Come on. Well, I might have the tipped the Melbourne man. Cup winner, but I did um, share again what I think is the world's best chicken sandwich recipe. So thank you to Wade Kingsley, who actually made them. They look that could be my chicken sandwiches What's the in that picture. Secret to your chicken Wade. sandwich? Um, well, it, it's got to be a boiled whole chicken, uh-huh, yeah. and you throw in two extra chicken, chicken breasts once you turn off. Right. Okay. So you sit them in the stock yep. for another half an hour. Right. And to me, you've just got to have all the bits of the chicken in it. Right. Okay. And a bit of celery, lots of tarragon, yep. pine nuts, but if you don't have them, um, um, slivered almonds. Yep. Mayo? Are you putting a bit of mayo in half there? Half mayo, half yogurt. Oh. And it's got to be whole egg mayonnaise. Yeah, Annabelle, totally. in the show notes yeah. okay, from a few good. weeks ago. I'll go there. <laughs> just Sorry, I'm just my, my impatience the best ever chicken sandwich recipe was Wade too said, Wade says we should put in um, dried apricots, which would be a nice one. Wade, Wade that, we're moving into the coronation yeah, chicken territory. Yeah, that's very coronation. <laughs> <laughs> we are so not doing that. So, Cara, we've had a busy week, and as everybody who has seen the Don't Shoot Pod or what is it called again? Don't shoot pod Instagram account. I think it's now renamed since I lost the old one. The password to the old one. Oh, um, that's what's... yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get me don't started. Don't get me started on passwords. <laughs> but uh, of course, the Melbourne Cup came home, or the Breeders' Cup came home with young Will the other night, which was very exciting. Hattie, Your son Will, who yes, works with Godolphin, Godolphin. That's right. Who so, finally got a Melbourne Cup winner. Yes, they did, as well as the Caulfield Cup. Hattie wasn't there this time with the Vegemite sandwiches to actually try and touch the cup. But little baby Willow was. So both grandchildren have now, um, you know, had the highlight of their racing lives. But, of course, it was a very busy week for you. And uh, you delivered the Andrew Ollie address in Sydney, which is why you weren't with us last week. I pretended you were off in New York again having another holiday, but no one (laughs) believed me. And Facebook and everything has gone off with congratulations. So on behalf of all our listeners and Jane and myself, Caroline, congratulations on a most excellent address. Thank you, Corrie. And, and well done pushing them. on behalf of me too, by the way, well, since I'm here. Thank yeah. you, Annabelle. Yeah, <laughs> Crab was... says well done too, but well, well done and tackling lots of important issues. Well, yeah. I mean, I was a bit, some of the reporting was a bit weird. It was very much, you know, Wilson slam sexism in the AFL. Yeah. And if you, you've got to speak for half an hour at this lecture. Yeah. And, well, you would know this very well. And that is so not what I did. I mean, I think the AFL is one of the more welcoming industries, certainly footy codes in the world, but... Apart from... Were you nervous? I was the most nervous I've ever been before speaking. It's a big, huge thing, isn't it? It's a big gig. It was in Sydney, so it wasn't like the old anecdotes were necessarily going to wash. Yeah, yeah. I I wrote the entire thing sort of from scratch. Yep. 
and it's a black tie dinner and it's televised. I know, and then there's the what do you wear kind of factor. All oh, of that. did you see what she All wore? She looked beautiful. She, and she was on the page, no, I won't say you were a page three girl of the age, but you were like page well, nine or something or <laughs> seven or whatever. <laughs> no, it's pretty a lo- good. a lovely red dress, but a massive photo. Corrie, must have been short of copy that day, Carol. Good local tip, the Zimmerman's second shop, which I've told you about before in Richmond. I mean, it was just, yeah, red dress from the... Zimmerman Second Shop, oh, which I was... I love a second-hand shopper. Yeah. Um, can I just say, before we're finished with the Ollie thing, I wasn't there because I was in um, on book tour, but um, I just, on behalf of uh, particularly female reporters across the industry, not just sports but everywhere, you know, you should, and I hope you do, understand the extent to which you are a an icon for us and... You Annabelle, know, thank you. Not only the, your not for me. Of, she's just bloody boring. Carol, just the my way that you <laughs> practice your craft and the way that you conduct yourself as a reporter, but also the um, strength and the great humour and constant reliability. Um, Thanks, Annabelle. That you show. Anyway, thank you. you well, do, I, I was here. In, here I Annabelle. was inspired. You know, on I, I changed my speech um, the day before. Thanks to your colleague, because Lee's interview on the 7.30 report with David Peaver was just one of the great media moments of the last few weeks. I mean, he obviously thought, I'm not going to do any media. I'll go and sit in the nice, cosy, cushy MCG or MCC. I think he was in one of the long room or the members' dining room or something. And when she asked that question about how is it that the people who allow this toxic culture to pervade cricket – think they're the ones who are going to fix it, particularly when they were the only ones who didn't identify the problem. I mean, yeah. you just watched him. Com- he, that was the end of his career. Yeah. Well, certainly with Cricket Australia. Yeah. It was a wonderful interview. So um, I am just loving Lee Sales doing all these sports interviews because, yes. you know, like, yeah. she knows nothing and, and about Shane Warne. Right. I know, Warne, was amazing. Norman. It was such a good but interview. At start, but at the start of the year, I think we were talking about Lee Sales, and I remember I said to you, Caro, I think the ABC are going to position her more as the personality interview. It was after she did Paul McCartney, and we yes. just thought, you know what, her star is on the ascent here as the personality interview, so the interviewer becomes as important. So if it's Lee Sales doing an interview, you actually end up not caring who she's interviewing yeah. because you know it's going to be good. The um, Anyway, the other interesting thing about the night was that obviously I sat next to the acting CEO, David Anderson, who yeah. was a lovely bloke, yep. but, you know, he's, they've obviously got some issues there at the No, moment. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and um, and yeah, the, That's you, not a job I'd do. Oh, my God. Oh, heavens. But mm. there's the big Four Corners expose coming up on Monday know, night. Yeah. <laughs> and John Lyons, our old friend John Lyons, who I, I was a copy girl with, yeah. is now running all the... He's running all the um, current affairs, isn't yep. he? He's mm-hmm. overseeing all of that. Mm-hmm. So they're putting the hard word on David, poor David, yep. to go on the show. And the whole thing was just fascinating. I was watching this unfold through the night. There was a lot of editorial interest. Oh, of course. Look, it's really ticklish. Um, David Anderson's a really good guy, by the way. Um, but it is like when you have a, uh, some sort of crisis or news development in your own organisation, like it's a real challenge to um to establish a rational and principled way of reporting on yourself and like honestly the ABC is it's a hard thing to do and I know news organizations that would just shut up and just not mention it in their own pages or whatever but the ABC is not built like that there are genuine conflicts and um and tussles within the building to report a hard line 
on something that's happened in our own organisation. I, I can't wait to see that Four Corners. No, I can't either. We, and we, we want to talk about Malcolm Turnbull in a minute. Can, sure. But the other big story this week is Luke Foley. Yeah. And Ashley Raper. I'm uh-huh. dying to know, I'm dying to hear your, you must have inside information that Corrie and I don't have. Uh, well, not necessarily. I think that, um, so Ashley Raper is my crush of the week, by the way. I just, I... Um, I... Sponsored by the interchange bench. <laughs> Are we going there now or later? We may as well. We may oh, okay. as well. Sorry, right. I'm, I'm here and I'm messing with your with your batting. No, no not at all. But we, we just we just this little section is sponsored by the interchange bench and we love them. So we just want to mention here is Annabelle Crabb with her crush of the week. <laughs> Perfect. We can't bury the lead. Let's face it. Well, it is Ashley Raper because I can't even imagine how difficult life has been for that woman over the last couple of years. She has been really clear all along that. Now, I did not know her name or I didn't know that she was the reporter that was associated with with this gossip about um, the former uh, Labor opposition leader, Luke Foley, in New South Wales for all this time. She has done a very hard thing. Something's happened to her that is upsetting, that is um, knocks you off your axis, and then she um, has had to make a decision about how to deal with that. I think that she has behaved with extraordinary strength and courage. The statement that she put out was um, intensely dignified and yet um, very strong, and I really feel for her. And I think I know that her anxiety all this time is that her job and career should not suffer. If you read her statement, she says, I'm aware that in these circumstances, the complainant often bears the brunt of these events disproportionately. And I think that that is happening to her. But I also think, and I really hope that given the events of the last few years, that there is a greater sympathy for and awareness of the plight that these women find themselves in when they are subject to behaviour which they have not asked for um, and then have the responsibility somehow of dealing with. So she's sort of set a, a template perhaps for, uh, well, I mean, it's, you, can't, well, you can't know how to handle these but things also, until don't you it think happens it, And every you. case is always so different. To That's it. true. But the crucial thing here is I think, you know, we – there are so many stereotypes involved in these sorts of incidents. And I, I'm, I know that some, and this is what a lot of women dread, is being seen as the, um, you know, as the pursuing this guy over some sort of minor workplace incident sort of thing. I mean, that, that, that analysis does exist out there, you know, and you become the um, gold digger or the, the, the vengeful um, victim or, or whatever. I mean, that exists um, as an attitude out there. Um, it somehow diminishes you inevitably in some way. Right. Which because, it shouldn't do, Because then does. your behaviour is brought into question when it should never be. Like if it's, you know, it, if you've experienced something that you haven't asked for that has visited itself upon you, then and then the rest of your life gets um, dragged into the spotlight and into question. That's deeply unfair. Now, you know, lots of things in the justice system are deeply unfair. But um, the thing that really shakes me about her case and also Erin um, Jane Norville's case and also um, Catherine Marriott, um, the woman who um, made the complaint against Barnaby Joyce, is that all three of these women have been – have done – I'm not going to say everything right because there's no right way to respond. What they've done is 
appropriate measures. They've well, taken the appropriate. They haven't. They've done everything possible to avoid, you know, making a fuss or making a drama or even, you know, destroying their their um, alleged offender's career or whatever. Like they've done everything to try and keep it out of the spotlight. So Catherine Marriott made a complaint through the appropriate processes and said, I want this kept absolutely confidential. I don't want it in the papers. I thought I thought she was exemplary in her behaviour yeah. over the Barnaby Joyce yep. issue. Erin Jane Norville made, um, made a complaint designed not even to have the um, – the um, alleged um, offender aware of it. She just said, I want this theatre company to develop better processes to protect young women against this sort of stuff, right? Didn't exactly work and out then, that way for her, No, did of it? course it didn't. So what I'm saying I find really stark about recent events is like that these women who have bent over backwards to be the good girl about it um, have still absolutely copped it in the end. And that is a really hard thing to watch. So what's your take on Luke Foley's decision to take legal action? Uh, I just – so when he announced that in his press conference in the ABC newsroom, there was an inc- like an incredible gasp, an audible gasp. I mean, it's an incredibly – high-stakes game. I mean, you have to be careful what you say. I mean, if it goes on to be this defamation case. But, I mean, he has said through a spokesman and um, reportedly said to um, Ashley herself that he was a bit felt awkward because he couldn't quite remember what had happened because he was pissed at the time. Now, I mean, wow, that's bold. It's bold to head to a defamation court on that basis. It's a big call and it's a big call for him politically too. We would think we would be thinking his legal advisors will tell him to shut it down, don't you think? Not go ahead. Oh, look, it's not worth commenting on that. I don't, you know, and and I don't want to get too um, uh, into any dicey areas. I don't know what his legal advice is, and I also what I know about the circumstances are based on the statement that Ashley has made and the um, whatever comments Luke Foley has made. So anyway, I just think. Yeah, it's it is an incredibly tough situation to be in. Um, I mean, if you watch the um, the testimony um, that the complainant against Justice Brett Kavanaugh gave in his um, confirmation hearings, now like that was just absolutely pathetic, Annabelle. Yeah, pathetic in the way he became so angry and agitated. Right, but that, I mean that to me screams guilty conscience. Well, look the the. The impression that I came away with from watching both of those people give evidence was just, I mean, Christine Blasey Ford was, again, doing trying to do everything right. She was the good girl in the stand. She was trying to comply with and remember exactly and not overstate anything and be very precise about exactly what she recalled. I mean... She was an incredibly credible witness um, and um, Kavanaugh, on the other hand, kind of lost it. Now, look, these compl- these situations are always complicated but I always think, look, there is so there's, – there's not just nothing in it for women who eventually level these allegations. Sometimes there's the opposite – I mean, sometimes there's a distinct damage – and a profound damage for them. It's not just a zero-sum game. They don't get anything out of it. They suffer as, as a result of making and then these they allegations. Have, and then they have double damage because they right. 
So in the case of Catherine, you know, she was exposed by yeah. somebody in the party who thought it would be good to chat about this and that's the member thing, of the party you know, who's come to complain. They have lost control of this process. Mm. And in the case of Ashley, there wasn't even a process, you know. And because some guy has decided this will be useful for me to kick around this other guy in parliament, and keep in mind the guy who in the New South Wales parliament raised these allegations against Luke Foley, thereby throwing Ashley into the mix against her will, I mean, he's never going to be sued. He's never going to face a defamation proceeding because he was in parliament. So, like, he's taken what happened to her and used it as a two-bit political uh, gotcha then, and then triggered a series of events that will have profound ramifications for this woman. Now, I just think, listen, I mean, every serious um, claim should have should be tested appropriately um, and evidence adduced and people's recollections tested and so on. But I really, I just don't understand how there is still a, some sort of residual theory that these women make stuff up, you know, like what? why would you why do that? Would you? One of the key witnesses very quickly in the Chris Gale case against Fairfax Media last year, which he um, which he won, um, one of the one of the witnesses, I, I think um, his legal team found found out there had been something during teenage years involving some a, a brief eating disorder or right. something like that, and she had seen she had sought um, counselling, and this sort of somehow became unreliable witness. Mental illness. I mean, it was just, it was, and don't get me started on the fact that Don't Blush Baby was actually a horse that ran in the oaks yesterday and bloody well won. I didn't back it on principle. But, you know, that his treatment that day of Mel McLaughlin, again, who's a wonderful sportscaster, she was somehow made to, to be diminished in some way. Yeah. By just going on with the job, oh look! But you're yeah, you're obviously angry, and I I don't blame I, you. I, I think mean, that is an excellent I mean, crush of it the make, week. It makes me sick too. But you do, do you know Ashley? No, I don't. I mean, I don't. I'm, I've met her once or twice around the office. I think I just I yeah. do not have. I'm not f- sort of socially mates with her. I just I just think it's an extraordinary burden that gets lowered onto people. Now I don't. You know I don't. There's obviously there'll be some sort of legal proceedings, but let's talk generally about what happens when someone is sexually harassed in their workplace, and particularly if it involves a high-profile person, yep. because you haven't asked for anything except just to do your job in peace, which is reasonable expectation, right? And because of some behaviour that happened to you without warning and without your invitation, you just get you know, this plonked on you. You not only have to deal with the um, distress and the humiliation and that weird sort of shame transfer that happens in these circumstances where you've done nothing to be ashamed of, but then suddenly you feel all ashamed. I do not – I mean, I understand that that process um, exists and happens where the person who should be ashamed isn't. The person who has nothing to feel ashamed of is somehow covered with shame or feels shame. Um, you haven't invited that situation, but then to that distress, you also have to add the obligation to then deal with it in a way that is appropriate or that, you know, um, stands and, and up also, and protects and, other women. And or doesn't like, do any more harm to the individual. Right, yeah. So all of a sudden you're in the role where you're 
now obliged to become a, a campaigner, you know, an activist by pursuing these charges or, you know, protecting other women by not letting it happen to them. And I think, you know, that's that's a really big responsibility. Well, we love your crush of the week, Thank Annabelle. Um, and I'm sure the gang at the interchange bench will be sitting at their desk going rah, rah when they hear this. <laughs> Thank you to the Interchange Bench, specialists in temporary staffing and executive contracting. Visit interchangebench.com.au. If your business needs new players, pick them up from the Interchange Bench. (laughs) When we last spoke at Corrie's shop, when we were launching your first beautiful cookbook, we spoke about Malcolm Turnbull and you were very interesting. Mm. Lord only knows if anyone could have foreseen the bizarre circumstances that led us to Q&A on the ABC this yeah. week, a special edition where I've got to admit, I was being a social flippity gibbet at the Oaks. I haven't seen it, but Corrie, you saw it. Did you see I it, saw Annabelle? It. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, and yeah. I, I thought, like, let's cut to the chase. The very first question from the audience, as you recall, Annabelle, was, um, you know, what happened? Why did this happen? <laughs> and who, and I mean, Turnbull still doesn't know. And and he does later on in, in Q&A, he does argue a really salient point about why we need to know. It's not just him so he and Lucy can workshop it and have, you know, some sort of personal comfort. Actually, because these are elected members to parliament yeah. and it, it, it should all be on the public record and everything should be transparent. So we need to know who are these people and how did it happen? Well, he didn't waste any time naming them all. No, he sure did <laughs> It was pretty fantastic. He's like, well, I don't know. You'd Dutton, have to, Abbott, you'd have to, you'd have to ask Gorman. all of these people who were behind it. And, and Annabelle, I thought he looked very relaxed. He looked quietly confident. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I often think that um, sometimes politicians, it, this certainly is true of Julie. Gillard, when they're out of that public role, you can actually see their, their, how how cleverly and warmly and comfortably they've interacted with people over many yeah. years in order to you know build an electorate around them that supports them. And sometimes Malcolm they give was, their best performance on their way out. They do. Day, like, isn't they? He was so relaxed in the company of all the people there. <laughs> yeah. And there were a couple of tough and curly questions about his, you know, what did he contribute and Manus Island. That was a bit of a yep. scary moment for him. Yep. But I thought he handled it with great aplomb and he did look relaxed in the company of Australians. Well, I think there's something that happens when you become Prime Minister, you know, it, 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 it does lower this incredible burden of responsibility on your shoulders. And it, it also constrains your behaviour to a certain extent, because once you're Prime Minister, every word is a bullet. You know, every word has almost legislative um, weight. So you've got to be really careful what you say. There's no kind of conversational sallies or like, what about this? This would be interesting. Um, so, you feel somehow more constrained. Actually, I interviewed Julia Gillard the previous week about her new portrait that's just been hung in Parliament House. She's the 26th Prime Minister to have their portrait hung there and she's, of course, the first woman and we are talking about um, the decisions that she took about what how she'd like to be painted. She used the Melbourne artist Vincent Fantuzzo who um, painted her from the shoulders up. She said she didn't want any clothes in the portrait because she was sick of people just looking at what she wears and... Making that a big deal, yeah, oh, which right. I thought was really interesting. But she also said, I asked her what um, what she thought people missed about her or didn't get about her when she was prime minister, and she said that she thought people didn't really get to see her sense of humour. And her explanation of that was so interesting and also so heartbreaking. She said, "Look, you know, when you're prime minister, particularly if you're a woman, you are in a bit of a box because you can't be too jokey because people then think you're a." 
giggling girl and not appropriate for the role. You can't be too angry because then people think you're a shrieking harridan and not too um, not not uh, appropriate for the role. Um, you can't um, cry because then people think you're a hysterical mess and not appropriate for the role. So, and I thought that was a really good observation. It's a particularly gendered one in her case. But I also think that as Prime Minister, you are constrained a bit in your manner. And Malcolm Turnbull is a really interesting conversationalist. And I think that that probably didn't always come across when he was um, uh, Prime Minister and probably comes across more freely now. He did look relaxed, I thought. Um, and I, it occurred to me that in a weird way, he's sort of coping with this sacking better than he coped with the I one agree. when he was opposition leader. I agree. Um, so that was in 2009 uh, yeah. and he was punted by his party over energy and climate policy, over his decision to... Um, he, he sort of has no emotional baggage and as he said, you know, I'm not going to be like a Kevin Rudd or a Tony Abbott. I've left. I'm yeah. out. I'm going, I'm going back to the business world. I just he did make a couple stood up of... to them at the very, till the very end though. I wish he hadn't sort of caved in that last week over the carbon emissions, etc. Yeah. I mean, I just would have loved him to have gone down slugging it out to the very end. One of the, one of the most of interesting um, elements to those bookends of his leadership, um, you know, the way he lost the leadership in um, 2009 and the way he lost it this year, is that both instances he was attempting to find a consensus across the parliament on this question of climate change and carbon. And I think over that time, you know, climate policy, energy policy has committed more political murders than any other policy area, right? Like it's got a real rap sheet. And the really tragic thing, and this is a real, this is an issue for our democracy heading forward, is that this is a, a, a giant problem in our nation. It's one that our parliament has tussled with for more than a decade. I think there is a working consensus across the major parties about um, sensible steps to price carbon and to reduce carbon emissions but we never as a country. Well, you've got the situation now where big business is behind it, where um, business is sort of making plans despite the parliament, not because of the parliament. And yet we are so politicised in that place and the parties are so polarised that you'll notice at the very end there, Malcolm Turnbull, who could, I think, have bowled that policy up even over the naysayers in his own party and got support from the Labor Party to pass it as Australian parliamentary government policy would not do that because he knew that it would destroy him. It's more important for his party tribes people to be opposing the Labor Party than it is to finding a sustainable consensus position across that parliament. Now, that is a bad state of affairs. Oh, Annabelle, terrible. you get a bouquet from me because your coverage that day, I had the day off. <laughs> uh, was it the Friday that Malcolm was rolled? The yep. Friday? And you were on air for such a long period of time and um, – Apart from the fact that you looked great in your dress and all of that, thank you. <laughs> well, we were talking about dresses earlier, yeah. but you, your your commentary was um, insightful, and uh, you really personalised it in a way often that uh, media commentators do not. You've had dinner with a lot of these people, and and you've been in Parliament House for a long time. You know them well, 
and you gave us an, um, the emotional side of, of the drama that was occurring, as well as the facts and everything that was happening blow by blow. It was great television. So, Thank you. Um, and Caro's friend, new friend, Anthony Green, was there too. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Green. Pops up everywhere, doesn't he? I've never met Anthony Green. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, he's hilarious. But he was at the Ollies, and, in fact, his table... He, he reminds me of Dobby. Computer. He reminds me of Dobby on Harry Potter. <laughs> Corey, that's a bit mean. No, it's not. He, he was we love Dobby. His insights into sport and football were actually incredibly interesting. Oh, really, I've never he's, discussed sport with him. Oh, he's well, a keen cyclist. He's a like mad keen cyclist. Well, he's a Sydney Swans aficionado, and a lot oh, of Sydney right, Swans yeah. officials and execs had come to the dinner. So that was really. But his, his all, thoughts on racism in sport, because I spoke a lot about Adam Goods, yeah. were really interesting too. Oh, Anyway, well, we should go to BSF, I think, Caro, don't you? Um, could we get a quick assessment of the current Prime Minister from you? I think he's having a lot of trouble. I think that he is facing uh, a really <laughs> – he's facing a very, very difficult task, and that is to take a situation of deep instability where his party is divided and at war with each other. They've just chucked out a Prime Minister that can't quite explain why – and his explanation is, don't ask me, it wasn't my idea, which is true, but also sort of not entirely satisfying, I think, from a national perspective. No. And he's trying to, in a really quick time, do a number of things. He's trying to demonstrate that he's not Malcolm Turnbull, and he's doing that by eating meat pies and getting on buses, although Malcolm Turnbull loves buses, so, and, think, and being the man authentic? of the people and saying, mate, 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 a lot. Staying at the it, footy till the final siren mm-hmm. and drinking but, but is that authentic? Mm-hmm. Is that Scott Morrison? Oh, or is it play? Yeah, I think he likes going to the footy, and I think he's, you know, a, a Aussie bloke. He's genuinely a kind of suburban dad, and um, and I think that yes, that's that's all. But he also comes from a marketing background, remember? So he's marketing himself. 100%. He's built a he's building a brand, this Scomo brand. But he's also, and this is one of the most interesting um, stories in the Liberal Party's folklore about Scott Morrison and the reason why people always mention it in politics is because it's so interesting um, culturally for the Liberal Party is that he's the only person in recorded history who's attended on the same night the left-wing factional dinner and the right-wing factional dinner of the Liberal Party. Like he went from one to the other. Progressive dinner party. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And like he is um, not particularly... Um, ideologically aligned. You know, he sort of skipped back and forth. And while that is, uh, I think, evidence of a um, uh, a, a welcome open-mindedness, it also, I think, is a bit of a hint as to his preparedness to be very um, pragmatic. Now, um, have a look at some of the decisions that have been uh, hastily made, um, particularly in the week uh, in advance of the Wentworth by-election, this snap decision to float moving the embassy. That was terrible to uh, Jerusalem. Weird, well, based well, on sort absolutely of Absolutely no consultation. Um, really opportunistic. I mean, that was very weird. Then this sort of de- declaration that I'm going to secure religious freedom for Australia, you know, <laughs> and then saying, well, yes, that'll mean um, kicking gay kids out of schools. And then you've got this massive backlash. Well, obviously we won't be doing that. We won't be doing that. <laughs> and I just think it's six months or whatever he's he's going to have is not a very long time to repair instability and to project the image of a steadfast, feet on the ground, decisive um, leader who is driven by uh, principle. 
And I think there's been a few serious whoopsies already in the process of trying to build that image. And I think it's um, the odds aren't great. No, that's a fairly good assessment. Let Corrie, we may as well integrate BSF with Annabelle's book because this, I mean, this is a book that is music to my ears, Recipes for the Happily Imperfect Host. And this is one of my favourite tips. A bag of prawn cutlets in your freezer, the kind where they're frozen individually and clank about in the bag rather than frozen in a sort of brick. How many times have you gone, bloody hell, They're all, and then you sit them in warm water and they just, no, it just doesn't work. Well, yeah. That's so, your prawn omelette with oyster sauce recipe. Yeah. It looks beautiful. One of um, my co-authors so Wendy and I have been talking about what stresses us out about entertaining at home. And like, I love food and cooking and I'm not stressed out about cooking for people. What stresses me out is tidying up. I just, I'm messy. My house has just got clutter everywhere. And so what puts me off inviting, like having a dinner party is like, oh, I have to this tidy is, this up is the, the, book. This is music the dining room table. So, so we've, um, with our BSF segment, this is our book of the week, um, Annabelle. And as the bookseller around the table here, I have to tell you that this will sell well because most of our customers, male and female, live this exact life. Yeah. But, you know, what I found was when I had kids and I I was working um, through all three of them, the thing that I resented was that I uh, came up – it was easy to come up with excuses not to have people around. Mm -hmm. And then you find that you're slipping in your connection with them because most of your life is either trying to get the kids to school or creche and get to work and get home and put the washing on and do all of that. And you lose – um, you lose the connection with your friends. So remember, Caro, uh, we started this thing called the Recession Dinner Party, Yep, which yep. was back in 1992, 93 with a couple of other bods. <laughs> yeah. And so all of it, because we all realised we were in the same situation, tiny yep. kids working, not yep. very much money, and but we weren't seeing each other. So we would all do a course. And actually the fun became, in those days we didn't have mobile phones or anything, but the phone calls like, okay, I'm going to do entree. All right, I'm going to bring something. And that's how we, you know, did it. So your book very much reflects the lifestyle that we, Carol and I have. What about happy hour? I love happy hour. Oh, that's a great one, yeah. You don't want to have dinner parties, but you just basically have an open house every, say, every Friday between 6.30 and 7.30. And you don't, you don't go overboard. But, like, there's that thing when you're all really busy and you're running to each other and you say, oh, we must catch up. We must catch up. I'll email you or I'll text you. And then you send an email and you're like, oh, should we invite, you know, Kate? Yeah, let's get Kate involved too. And so then there's a group email going around. What about next? No, that's no good for me. Oh, no, I'm going to be away. Well, I could do lunch. No, lunch is no good for me. It's sport, you know. And then you're just like the actual process of trying to coordinate catching up becomes such a pain in the neck that – However fun the catch-up is, it's not worth it. So it's, like, it's taken as it's long just, time organising right. it as the actual catch-up. So Wendy does this thing at her place in London where she just, every Friday night, she's got a bottle of gin, some tonic water and maybe some couple of snacks or something and she's in her garden and come round if you want. And if no one turns up, no problem whatsoever. Well, one but, of the recipes I love because Carol and I have got a bit of a 70s dinner party theme going, oh, Annabelle, yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And one of the recipes I do love in your sort of bar snacks segment of this happy hour Baked camembert with Whitloff and walnuts. Mm. Is there nothing better than a baked camembert? Oh, make the cheese hot. Make the cheese I do, hot. I, I must my... say, though, my tip to potties is it's got to be a good quality camembert. Don't just go to the supermarketo and, you know, pick up one. I don't it's got to well, be a good I reckon, that, that's I reckon, the whole, no. That's... I reckon you can really revive a crappy cheese know. by applying heat. I mean, like, maybe we've got I different agree. standards. I think, but... I, think, I think we have to draw the line there. <laughs> but the book, um, the book Podsters is, is laid out uh, really effectively. Uh, early bird breakfast is 
the starting chapter and then stay for lunch. And then here's one I prepared earlier, which is very handy for organized people. Salads for all because, of course, it reflects um, – there's, there's, there are lots of vegetarian recipes in yeah, this book reflecting your lifestyle. because I do think lifestyle. that that is one of the things that people also find stressful is, oh, my God, I've invited six people and one of them's a vegan and one of them's celiac and whatever, and it sort of does your head in a bit to work out something that – looks after everybody and makes them feel welcome but doesn't kind of drive you crazy. So we've, what, we've, done, we've done an index in the back, like there's a sub-index of by dietary requirements. So you can go straight to the back and say, quick, 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 what can I make from this book that is vegan? But or that is a you great also idea. add a little what for meat eaters, this recipe, you can yeah. do this. And... Yep. Yeah, like Yotta Motolenghi does with plenty. You know, he's, yeah. it's full of salads and vegetable dishes, but he says but this goes great with chicken with, and yeah. lamb or yeah. whatever. And I so love that segment idea of yours at the back. Just, That's so clever. The whole idea is trying to address what is the root purpose of hospitality. Like it is to look after your friends, show them that you love them, and do it in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're putting you out. Because, you know, if you're really stressed out and you answer the door and you've got like close to tears, you're like, oh, hello, you're here. You know, your guest immediately thinks, oh, my God, I would rather be anywhere else because yeah. I feel Come like and have I'm, a drink. Yeah. We're having – my husband and I are having a blue, but, you know, come yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. And you leave the table about ten times <laughs> to, you know, prepare the freaking meal and you don't want anyone in I the know. kitchen. One of our – like Wendy and I agree that this the chapter Stay for Lunch is actually probably the way that we both really like entertaining at the moment because we've got little kids and, you know, stuff everywhere, as you know. Um, and Stay for Lunch is the chapter that's about food that you make on the spot, like where you just issue an invitation when people are already in your house, you know, because they're dropping off something or they're picking up their kids or whatever, and you think, yep. oh, do you know what, it's nearly lunchtime, I'll make something. And it's I involving, never do that. I, would... I mean, it's not that hard. And the, the, the beauty of it is that expectations are super low because they weren't expecting to be fed and you haven't spent the morning worrying about what you're going to cook. And but- girl, after 30 years of doing this, can I just tell you, people are so excited to be invited and fed. Yeah. They don't care about that other yeah. stuff. And, and, even, and even if you buy well, something from a takeaway. It was a bit like a our Melbourne Cup day, really, wasn't it? Well, yes. It, well, you did prepare your yummy chicken sandwich. Yeah, but only after we walked in the morning and got drenched and realised we didn't want to watch the cup at the pub. Yeah, that's and I, true. And I bought a takeaway chicken and go. just, you know, took all the skin off. And I you didn't. See, you make something that delights your friends, and they're happy and thrilled to be fed at all. And you're not stressed out because you haven't been sitting up worrying about, you know, doing, you know, anything complicated. And that is. A great way to fly because um, it's so true. You're addressing it is so true. you're addressing the the root purpose of hospitality, which is to see people and look after them. So our book of the week this week, Potties, is special guest recipes for the happily imperfect host by Annabelle Crabb and her dear friend Wendy Sharp. It is thirty nine ninety nine and published by Murdoch Books. And we've got a few copies here that Annabelle is going to sign after our podcast today, and they will be available at my bookshop. But you better hurry. That's all I'm saying. Add for shop, add for myself. Caro, <laughs> you've got a film. I do. I went and saw finally A Star Is Born. Oh, now I haven't seen that yet. Now, as Corrie will know, I always bang on about remakes of remakes of remakes. Yeah. And, you know, this this began as a, this story is one of the oldest stories in film land um, about the the famous, it started out as a film about an actor, a famous actor and a rising star. He's, he's, he's already troubled and getting a bit burnt out. She is a nobody. They fall in love and her star rises mm. as his descends. So, With a bit of alcohol abuse. The, well, or drugs or whatever. The first one was actually a film called What Price Hollywood, which was very early 30s. Then a wonderful version, the first version called A Star is Born with Frederick March, 
my favourite is James Mason and Judy Garland. I and watched that the other night because oh. I'm working up. I'm working my way up to the most recent one. Well, well, that's the best. Three hours long. Has an intermission. And the most wonderful thing I think about that Judy Garland is actually James Mason. I think he portrays the damaged yeah. man out of control so brilliantly. Norman Maine. Norman. Well, well, he is. Um, he was wonderful. Judy Garland, of course, wasn't in in any way an ingenue when that film was made. She was sort of her comeback mm. film, but she was brilliant. Oh, I thought she was, but yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. Then, of course, you know Babs. Ba- Babs's wasn't great. I've got right. to say um, that's what I'm watching next, and then I'm watching the. Oh, yeah. but I did love her flowing caftan tops. In well, that. well, it moved. It moved to being a film about the music industry, and the earlier ones are very good about the PR and spin doctors yeah. and what they do yeah, to yeah. stardom, which is not so much in the most recent one. But I think Barbara Streisand at the time was blowing with her partner John Peters, right. who directed or produced the film. Interestingly, he also produces. This one or is one of the producers. This is a wonderful film, the new version. Lady Gaga, I don't think she could have acted or sung any better. Yeah, she's right. wonderful is in it. Is that her name in the credits or does she give her real name? No, she's Lady Gaga and she's brilliant. And Brad Cooper, who everyone seems to be sort of secret, yeah, secretly, he, he's very good too. He sings beautifully. He has, a, he has a weak mouth, I think. Oh, no. Corey doesn't have a weak mouth. He doesn't have a weak mouth. Your face. He's um, just this sort of defiant set it, to the jaw. I get mouth. it all the time. It, it's it's very well written. Day. It's gritty. It's re- it, it's look. It's a really good film. Everyone it, I know who's seen it has said, "Oh, it can't be that great," and then has come out going, "Yeah, it's pretty great." It's pretty great. I don't think the chemistry between them is as good as some people say, but most people felt who I went with. One of the, the walking girls was, the other day said that there was potential off-screen romance happening. Yes, that that they think that I don't know what really, magazine they re- read. Really did happen. That sounds authoritative. I have no further questions. We, believe, we believed it. <laughs> One Go. of the girls at Walking got the definite impression from watching that movie that they were really doing it. <laughs> well, you know, often the story is like in Titanic where Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio, who is a really good actor, he was terrible in Titanic because yeah. apparently he'd just completely fallen in love with, um, oh, my Lord, English actress. Kate Winslet. Oh, the actual star. Yeah, How do yeah. you? All right. Oh, they were completely on. Oh. Surely you've read that somewhere. Oh, I can't it, remember. Anyway, I don't, she, I don't it, get my hair cut often enough it, to be up on these it things. It didn't <laughs> affect her performance, but it totally affected his. Anyway, I would recommend A Star Is Born. The music's great and the song Shallow is going to be a big hit. I'm going off to see A Star Is Born, Caro. You've convinced me. <laughs> weak mouth or no weak mouth. <laughs> Uh, food. Yeah. Annabelle, over to you. You've got a recipe. Indeed, you have an I entire do. book of them, but I would do. you like to choose one of your recipes well, out of special guests? Chose something sweet. Look, there are there are heaps of um well it's so ridiculous. There are heaps of interesting recipes in this. One of the ones that's really going off at the moment is Wendy's controversial recipe breakfast recipe for crumpets with uh Vegemite, mustard, butter, and flat leaf parsley, all mashed up to become a kind of savoury butter on a crumpet. Now, she told me that she was making up this thing. That is seriously And I just thought, that is disgusting and I'm not eating that. And I just, just absolutely savaged her by email for months, just going, oh, yeah, still making your awful crumpets, are you? <laughs> anyway, she made them for me at the shoot and I ate about five of them. I cannot even tell you how delicious they are. That is, I mean, anyway, I'm just saying that that recipe is there. Park that. My mum's one... a savoury crumpet eater. She has salt yes. and pepper, though. Yes, my, yeah. well, my grandparents yeah. introduced Seriously, me to that. I love that. The combination of those ingredients, I'm just, I'm just saying, do not rule it out. It is... We will. You will it will we'll change your mind. Anyway, so uh, the one that I want to talk about today, though, is this 
and it's great at Christmas time. Um, so I mention it. Um, it's also great post uh, Halloween because it uses up so much pumpkin. So this is a sticky. You know my thoughts about Halloween, Annabelle, ginger- but that's all right. Well, I mean, seriously, last year you can't beat them, we had them. a we had a procurement issue with pumpkins where um, various members of our household bought pumpkins. Uh, I'm not going to name them, uh, but (laughs) they bought Queensland Blues and were like, let's carve these with the kids. And I'm like, you cannot carve a Queensland Blue. Like you need – you you need an angle grinder. They're just too tough, and you can't scoop the flesh out. So blaming Jeremy for this. I I didn't name the household member. Um, So – then I had all these pumpkins under the kitchen table, just knocking around. And so I was just thinking, how can I use them up? So I made pumpkin hummus quite a lot. That's good. Um, and then I'd been making this recipe of Nigella Lawson's, which is of sticky um, gingerbread. So it's not like a gingerbread man type gingerbread. It's like a ginger cake, but really dark and rich. It's got treacle in it. It's got golden syrup, it's got um, fresh ginger, it's got ground ginger, it's really, and then dark sugar as well. So it's really dark and rich and absolutely delicious. And I thought, what about if I put some pumpkin puree into there? Because I was just thinking, (laughs) I've got all this pumpkin. So in it went, I just sort of zhuzhed it up a bit and and changed some of the proportions. And the result is brilliant. Like it's it's got a real festive air to it because of the spices. it's got ground allspice in it. It's got ginger, obviously, and a little bit of cinnamon. And it's so rich. And I know that it's wrong to say moist even around cakes, but, I mean, that is what this thing is. And it, it is – I'm sorry, when did moist become a bad word? Oh, yeah. Look, see, no, it's a divisive word. Someone once wrote this hilarious thing on the internet that someone sent me, and it was like a suicide note from the word moist. <laughs> And it was just, this word is just saying, look, I'm a perfectly reasonable word with a person, perfectly reasonable and now meaning. now I've been attacked. And now I'm just despised. People just hate me. Okay, so Annabelle, what do you call a cake that is moist? It's really, it's it's hard. It's like finding a word that rhymes with orange. There is no other word that does the right thing. You can say that it's rich and that it's, yes. I don't know, like you can't wet. say it's wet. That's not right either, is it? I mean... Let me know if you think of anything because I, you know, I've used the M word in this recipe because I, I couldn't think of anything else. Um, and you don't need to serve it with anything because it's so. Nope, absolutely not. That word. So you give it a bit of a dust if you want um, of some just icing sugar on top just to make it look like it's covered with freshly fallen snow. But it's the sort of thing that you're sort of like, oh, that's a sort of dark, plain looking cake. Take a bite and you just. You eat Yum. the whole thing. Well, yeah. rather than reading it out now, what we'll do is we'll pop it in the show notes. Show so notes. That, so that is another reason for everybody to subscribe rather than just piggybacking on someone else's um, iPhone or whatever you're doing to listen to this podcast. I've also included some um, a bit of guidance on how to make a gluten-free version, which I have done uh, oh, very, very successfully with this cake. Yeah, some and cakes a, work and, with and gluten-free flour, cake, others don't. Everyone, it's, it's a moist, it's super moist cake. It's, We're not calling it wet. <laughs> I love that. It was a side note from the word moist. But what we really want you to do is we want you to buy Annabelle's special guest, oh, okay. her new cookbook, because the recipe's in there, but we will have it in the show notes as well. Corey, six, six what quick are you, questions. Are you, oh, I am grumpy. What are you grumpy about? Okay, you won't be surprised. Donald Trump again, Caro, super quick. Donald Trump's decision to ban CNN's Jim Acosta mm. and suspend his White House credentials. 
It was just the most appalling press conference oh, that performance was by the president. It was it? it was very uncomfortable. I really urge everybody to have a look at it because this is this is what is happening. This is how low it goes at the White House. So it was the post midterms press conference. Uh, Jim Acosta uh, had the microphone in hand um, because they pass the microphone around with the with the Washington press corps there when there's a presidential press conference. Trump became increasingly agitated. His body language, I don't know whether you saw it, yeah. Annabelle and Cara, mm. but he was pointing and then he was pacing up and down. It was really appalling. Stepping away from the microphone when the reporter was exactly. asking Exactly. The and then he abused the reporter and then they told lies afterwards that he'd mishandled a member of staff. I just want to say that I think the collegiate response by the reporters, uh, everybody from um, the uh, Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press to the NBC, New York Times, everyone came behind uh, Jim Acosta and so I am incredibly grumpy about that. Six quick questions. Caro, when I went to the races a couple of weeks ago, I noticed this, not so many fascinators, but this tiara or this decorated hairband thing. What's your feeling about that, good or bad? Well, I know you have a view about the overuse of the headband. There were some beautiful no, fa- fascina- ones. Yeah, but also fascinators. What's the I difference know. between a fascinator and a headband? Well, a headband is a headband. Oh, right. a so fascinator sort of, I'm doing hand. A, a pathetic, tiny little thing that you wear on no, your head. No, I saw... Wear it, Annabelle. I saw examples of all of them yesterday. I confess I wore a slight headband. I'll give you a photograph a soon, Corrie. Well, it was a headband. Right. I went, Just I went to admit it. Like, it was a bloody headband. I went to the Axel Mano, Mano shop in Sydney right? and I found this beautiful bag to go with this dress I had. Uh, and it long had, story. Come on. Just a few. Was it a padded headband no, or a bejeweled one? Floral and very subtle, right. Annabelle. That's okay. all I'll say. And there was a girl with a poppy headband. But which don't I you? But do you beautiful. agree with my uh, my overview the other week when I said to you, when you get to a certain age, like about twenty eight, you can't wear a hairband? Well, I'm no one, and I'm clearly for twenty eight. So <laughs> I no. didn't know that. I saw some beautiful headbands, Annabelle. Of all the politicians yeah. whose kitchens you visited, who was the best cook? Ah, uh, uh, competitive field. Um, Tanya Plibersek is a superb cook, uh, very, very confident in the kitchen. And, in fact, I've nicked one of her recipes and put it in the book because she's got this um, idea that she got from an ex-boyfriend's mother many, many years ago, which is uh, olives wrapped in a cheese pastry and baked. So they're like – you take the stone out first. But you've got hot olive, hot cheese. It's – oh, my God – so ridiculously good. And you can make heaps of them and put some in the freezer so that you've got them there and you just put them in the oven the and you've ex- got a hot I wonder canape. if the ex-boyfriend's <laughs> mother now knows that she's appeared in your cookbook. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad degrees. I'm doing nothing this weekend. I'm taking this book so home she's to a very, work on she's it. a very good cook. Yeah. Um, Caro, American actor Anne Hathaway turns 36 this week. Can you name one good Anne Hathaway you, movie? You do not like this poor woman. The Devil Wears Prada was a great film. I loved it. It was hysterical. And she was in another film that was very good about the pharmaceutical industry in America called Love and Other Drugs, where she was the Ooh. love interest of Jake Gyllenhaal. You are so not convincing me on Anne Hathaway. No, no. The, she was really. She plays um, someone who's, who suffers from a not a terminal illness, but an illness that is going to de- – I, th- I think she's got MS, as oh, I okay. recall. Yep. She's really good in it, so leave Annabelle alive. I've, I've seen – Leave seen, Annabelle. Annabelle not wasn't Annabelle, in that movie. Anne, that movie. Anne, uh, Anne. I hear she wears headbands, though, Corinne. Yeah. <laughs> Seen her in a headband. Don't get her started on Nicole Kidman. She's so mean about Nicole Kidman. Corrie, who is your tip for Steaks Day, please? I don't have one yet. I've put the call through to Mr. Will. It hasn't come through. So, Potties, if you want my tips, you'll have to look at the Instagram, which is Don't Shoot Pod, probably Saturday morning around 7 a.m. after I've listened to Turf Talk. Now, Annabelle, my question to you. you If you and Lee Sales could choose one person to have on Chat 10 Looks 
three. I was going to say ten. You are. You are looks ten. Come on, elevate yourselves, girls. Um, Who would be your VIP guest? There would be a big fight ahead of this one, I think. Um, Well, who would you choose? Well, I would. I would get Yotam Otolenghi, I reckon, because he's our god. You know, (laughs) he is indeed, and he's also a genuinely lovely person when you meet him. So you know, and he's got great stories. And when I met him once, I confessed my secret love of smoked oysters from a tin, which is like, oh, I, I thought yep. I'd just I go there, right? Because like, I, I, I thought... I bet he likes them. Yeah, he does. Or he, not... he's polite enough to say that he does. So I just felt such a warm gush of affection and for And the that good man. thing, if you had, yeah. he could cook for you too if he came on your show. Oh, so look, we'd never, we'd never let him leave is what would happen. <laughs> He'd be taken prisoner. I, I know well... that that's mean and he's married. He's got kids who would really miss him. Uh, however, I'm sorry, Yotam's husband, we're not letting him go. Are you loving Simple? It's really good. Yeah, yeah. totally. And It's got some great recipes. Look, every book of his has got a different kind of vibe, but it just he's just full of great ideas and execution and you know that behind it is a person who loves to look after other people and that's what I love in cookbooks. He is loving. I'm not he? a big fan of the cookbook that's like how to look after your own gut. Like yeah. I don't, I get a bit, I'm don't, I don't love those cookbooks. None of them in I like house. the ones that yeah. are about here's something superb that will delight your friends. Exactly, and make people love you and want to be near you, which is what a good cookbook should do. Caro, what's your good local tip? Well, this um, GLT I've actually stolen from Annabelle and Lee's podcast. Mm. My daughter put me onto it and we used it the other night. And I think you actually got it because my daughter Clementine just adores your podcast and has for years. And she's the re- reason I even knew about it originally. But um, That must th- have been why I gave my daughter her name as a middle name. What, Clementine? Clementine. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, and speaking of Yacht Ham, I've planted a Clementine tree oh. simply so this I can... This podcast has now been going for over an simply hour. Simply so on, I can do his chicken up. and Clementine and Off fennel topic. recipe. Off anyway, when you, when you put baking paper on your tray in the oven, you scrunch it up. Yeah. Apparently this is a tip from one of your podcast listeners that you scrunch it up because you know how you can never get it to sit flat and it sort of goes up, it slips up one side and it's got, you leave a naked bit of baking tray. Yeah, it's, a, it's an eternal dilemma, I agree, when you bake. Not when you scrunch up the baking paper and then you just lay it out. So and you just sits. wrap it, right, scrunch it up in a ball and then yeah. lay it out. Yeah. It is uh, the greatest. I think baking paper is my number one kitchen gadget. Like it's useful for so many things. But and is that true that someone on your listened to your podcast and told you girls about that? Or quite possibly. It might have been on our podcast group, which is this sort of 30,000 people giving each other nice tips and helping you each other out. You have such a lovely community. Oh, my gosh, they're adorable. And could you come back and visit us again one day? I would love that. We're I'm, I'm a bit loath to leave today. now, actually, <laughs> except I can tell that you're the, you're the Lee Sales <laughs> Styles <laughs> timekeeper. <laughs> Lee's are constantly are trying to wind joking? me up. That, yeah. You're a very insightful person, yeah. but you've got that one totally oh, wrong. Oh, really? <laughs> no, you, you know what it is. When she, it tells an anecdote, when she tells an anecdote, I just sit here and listen because I'm just in, in awe of the funny story. And I can literally say, okay, my book of the week is, I haven't even got the title out and she's winding her hand around like that. Uh, uh, you know, time too many characters, <laughs> too many characters. Anyway, look, it's been wonderful to have you, Annabelle, and this cookbook is going to be a smash hit special guest. So you'll probably come back and talk about the next one, hopefully. Oh, God, I'm very in, tired. In a year or so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And I love the fact that this studio has sweet peas in it. It's just a beautiful place to be. We're very fortunate to have Miss Jane. Um, I must tell you all to have a listen to episode four of the book pod, Corrie Speaks with Feminist and Writer Anne Summers. Oh, that's a good book. 
That's yeah. a great book. And unlike this show, we go blue on that one, Caro. There's a bit of naughtiness you between and Anne. Anne and I. Yeah, we do. Ooh, well, tell your friends and family, by the way, to subscribe to our podcast. Details of everything we've mentioned today and ways of getting in touch are in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. And thank you again to Annabelle, author of Special Guest Recipes for the Happily Imperfect Host with Wendy Sharp as well. Corrie, remember... Don't shoot the messenger, Annabelle and Caro. All right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yay, we're so over time. You're so late okay. for your next appointment. Hi, I'm Anne Summers. I hope you can join Corrie Perkin and I on the book pod. There's definitely a new way. We've gone from that period during the 90s of I'm not a feminist, but now everyone's a feminist, and it maybe it's diluted. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean, if, if Rihanna and Beyonce and every politician you can think of is calling themselves a feminist, what does that mean, and what do they mean when they say that? And this, to me, was the most extraordinarily glamorous and sophisticated thing you know, that I could possibly imagine. And the notion that a single woman um, had the money and the freedom to do something like that was, you know, it just opened my eyes and it made me realise that I wasn't bound to the choices that my family and that my school had tried to impose on me. And I realised there were other ways. So Don Watson, your mate, rings up. He's acting as speechwriter for Paul Keating, the then Prime Minister, and says... Paul's got a bit of a problem with women. I love that. We do love the way Don talks. And the lawyers tried to take that out, saying, you know, that we, we don't want to imply that, that, you know, that Paul Keating is sexually harassing or something. I said, no one's going to think that. I mean, it's quite obvious. We get it, because it's the way Australians talk. Yes. And also, if you know Don Watson. And you also, know the, the context is quite clear. We're talking about a political problem. We're talking about a gender gap. I'm Anne Summers. Join me on the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod wherever you can listen to podcasts.